don't let anybody diminish your accomplishments. Ooh. And be proud and recognize what you've done. Hello, Kaya. Hi, Dad. How are oh, you? I'm doing well, thanks for asking. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Fantastic. I am super excited. You want to know why? Why? We have a special guest today on Two Wills and a Mic. We do. We do, a celebrity. Your second personality is coming to join us? They're always here. It's just me, myself, and I. Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> Okay. Wow. And the guest, just like that, she's introduced herself. No, she just laughed. She giggled. It's our job to introduce her. Okay. And I've prepared something special oh my as gosh, an you introduction. Have? I did. I was just going to go off the cuff <clears throat> memory based on the wiki page. And that's scary. Don't ever do that again either. Professional tennis player, U.S. Open semifinalist in doubles. Top World Junior Taylor Townsend, ladies and gentlemen. We, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll put that in. Yeah. 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 Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be able to sit down with you, especially now on Two Wheels and a Mic, because you've had a lot of stuff going on the last couple of months. Yes, it has been a very eventful 2020, to say the least. <laughs> yes, indeed. We understand you recently had 48,000 COVID tests, so you are negative. Yes, yes, I'm good. That's awesome. Okay, yes. great. They actually took a piece of my brain, so... Oh, nice. My right eye gets a little lazy sometimes. Okay. okay. Well, matches right. the left, so that's good. <laughs> Balance is good. So we, we really do appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and come on to the show and just uh, have a discussion. I think, you know, today's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm excited for John and scared for the other Will. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the Will. <clears throat> but... <laughs> Okay, don't ever do that again either. <laughs> this is quite the list you're accumulating. Yeah, you're 0 for 2 right now today, wow. and we've like two minutes into the show. Okay, well, you know what? People only listen to this thing for me, because so, mm. I don't have, you know, a wrap yourself up in it voice. Oh, I but... thought you meant a draw. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, I'm not. All right. Uh, Kai. That's you. Yes. Oh, do you Happy to be here. do you mm -hmm. want to open the show with the first question for Taylor? Sure, sure. I'd love to. Okay. I would be privileged. Yeah, go the for opportunity it. Opportunity to do that. Go for it. Okay. So, <laughs> you guys can't see the stare that I'm receiving from across the table right now. It's it's hot. It's hot right now. It's not intimidating necessarily. Uh, but concerning. It's almost dead eyes. For sure. Like a yeah. shot. I'm trying to figure out what's happening. Oh, I thought we were talking like a corpse. Okay, anyway. 
I didn't contour today, okay? <laughs> so. Eyebrows are on fleek, though, girl. Yeah, yes, good, as good, always. Good on you. The full fleek. Yeah. We expect nothing less. So, Taylor, <laughs> what has been, I guess if you could summarize your 2020, three words, mm. what summary would you give? What, what three words would you give us? I think it would be, see, I got to dig back into my seventh grade vocabulary. Hold on. Um, I think it would say uneventful or eventful, not uneventful, eventful, um, unexpected and what's the third word I would use? Hmm. I can't use Siri right now to ask for adjectives for a word. No. No, I can't. No, we don't. I can't do that. This isn't Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? But I'm not. So, um, um. <laughs> um, I think the third word would be um, I guess I would just say excited um, for the reason being that I am looking forward to something, but I don't know what to expect. So I think that that's very exciting because it's nothing that I can plan for. I'm going to have to just go with the flow. Okay. Okay. I can understand that. I feel like there are some more, some things in that description that we're going to dive into a bit later on in the episode. Definitely so, going to dive. Yeah. Going way deep. We'll today. unpack it. Yeah. You can say. Mm. Dad, do you have any? Well, the next question, rather? Well, I have kind of a, a, a summary because you've been super busy right now. Um, this, this last probably 30 days, you know, the big announcement on Instagram, the reveal, and then the subsequent media attention that that garnered. How and what has all of that looked like for you? Yeah, it's been... Actually, it's been kind of relieving because I was a little bit worried about what response I was going to get. Um, but to see that it was so positive and so many people that were just sending such good messages and good energy, it was really great. And I think that um, it's been weird to manage for me because I'm not the social media type of person that likes to be out there and Anybody who knows me know that I'm an outgoing person, but I don't like people on my business. So I've kind of had to learn how to balance out between, you know, inviting my fans and the people who I've kind of brought into my world, learning how to, to engage with them, but still be able to balance that kind of my private life. So it's been, it's been weird, but it's been really fun too. Um, yeah. I can't complain. Cool. So in the reveal, I think one of the, you know, I read the ESPN article, which was very cool, by the way. Congrats on that. Thank you. And there have been quite a few other articles, you know, scattered throughout the web. In our extensive research and preparing for this interview, we uncovered all of that. <clears throat> yep. I did. Kaya did nothing. However. Wow. In the reveal... 
it tells an interesting story, you know, about kind of where you started from and the feedback that you got as a young junior tennis player. And it took us kind of on a timeline through, you know, up to where you are now. So my first real question would be in terms of adversity, because that's where it began. Like the opening scene says, you know, you were told that basically, what was it, four years old, mm -hmm. that you're, you're never going to make it, you know, you should, you should quit. Mm -hmm. Who tells a four-year-old that, number one? Weirdos. Um, obviously. <laughs> people that, you know, people that have issues within themselves, yeah. you know, people that have deep personal problems. But from that beginning point, moving forward to now, you've had to undergo quite a bit, both personally and professionally. You shared some stuff with us off air regarding, you know, some of the things that occurred in your personal life, relationships with friends, family, you know, uh, and, and business. But the thing that kept popping into my head was this one word, you know, adversity. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to know what your definition of adversity is. So... I think my definition of adversity is, is I honestly, I would define it as life. The reason that I say that is because every day we are faced with challenges professionally, work-related, business-related, body-related, mentally, and these are things that you have to overcome day in and day out. And I think that all the things that I went through on all the aspects in every front was part of my life and my journey that developed me into the person that I am today. So if I didn't go through the things that I went through in my tennis career, I may not have developed or been able to be strong enough to make certain decisions in my personal life. Or if I didn't go through some things off court, maybe I wouldn't have understood some of the things that I needed to do for my business or for, you know, financially, how to deal with money, you know, doing all of those things from, from such a young age. So I think that my definition of adversity is life, but how you, how you overcome adversity makes for the, the story and makes the journey. So that was, that's kind of how I would describe it. Because everybody gives like this mundane or this kind of sad or, word about that but I don't really look at it that way because I feel like every day you're faced with something and it's an opportunity to either overcome it or let it overcome you and it's a constant push and pull how you manage that push and pull is life cool you know this is obviously a, a father-daughter you know podcast <laughs> mm -hmm. right and we have our playful banter. We go back and forth quite a bit, but you know, I, I tell everybody, you know, of the, the people that I love most in this world, you know, Kai is one of them, obviously, you know, my, my, my son and my wife are the other two. So for me to hear or even imagine that somebody would tell my daughter at the age of four, that she was not good enough. She was, it, her dream was never going to happen. And, you know, to, just to, 
to crush her spirit or attempt to crush her spirit with this ridiculous burden of cynicism and their reality mm. is heartbreaking. And I have to imagine that hearing that at that age, you like that had to, that had to, to cut you deep. Mm. And is that wound really healed? If, if not, what does that look like? If it is, then what does the scar remind you of? Yeah. Well, for me, I've kind of accepted the fact that like this has been part of my life and this is kind of like the rhetoric that I've heard for so many years. And so in understanding that and like I, I told you guys, I did went to start working with a sports psychiatrist and when the whole pandemic thing and when we were quarantined and all this stuff, because I was like, well, if I can't play tournaments, let me try to work on my mind and really kind of dive into some of these issues that I have because I have issues. <laughs> so We all do. Yeah. So I, I really tried to go deep into those things and I realized kind of like how far back, oh, geez, how far back it, it went. And personally... I don't think that the, the wound is healed because I still have this thing in me that cares about what people think. And it drives me crazy, but I still, there's something in me that's still kind of like, it kind of makes me second guess my feelings or my judgment sometimes. Um, but I've become more aware of my tendencies and then I just try to kind of stop myself and say, okay, like, what, like, what do you want, you know? And that's why, you know, the whole, the whole situation with me getting pregnant and just the whole, this whole journey has been amazing because everything that's come after it has been decisions that I've made for me and me only. So, um, yeah, but I mean, being told those things, it, it has left, I mean, the, the wound is not closed, but it's left a chip on my shoulder to where I always feel like I have something to prove. Has that, well, I don't want to monopolize the conversation. I'll, I'll <laughs> back. Let me give Kaya a chance to talk because she'll be going, you, did, you didn't let me talk. <laughs> well, go, go that's ahead. what I sound like? Uh, no, it's more like, you didn't let me talk. Oh my gosh, that's such a compliment. Everybody says my voice is so deep. Uh, very rapish. <laughs> oh, like DMX. Okay, anyway. So with all that in mind, uh, how do you think though, you know, your path and the adversity, like you said, that you've, you know, faced through all those years, how, do, uh, not like it's over, how do you think that has shaped and changed your outlook on life in general and your kind of mindset and approach to it? Yeah, it, um, I think it's changed it and kind of, I don't want to say changed, but it's shaped because I have gone through kind of like a personal evolution of like trying to figure out how to manage myself and manage my emotions and my feelings amongst a crowd of people, a lot of people publicly um, 
and dealing with so many opinions and like anybody who plays a professional sport knows that you have commentators, you have this, you have that, and all these people that have something to say about you are there to comment and to talk about you and your performance and what you look like and this and that and this and that. And so I think the adversity has helped me to kind of understand myself a little bit better. And I think that that transition has taken place later in life because when I was younger and just going through things, it was just kind of like I was just dealing with stuff, but I never realized or really took the time to be like, okay, like what's happening here? Like what, yeah. what, what am I trying to, what can I be learning or what is this trying to teach me? Or, you know, like kind of take a step back and really be like reflect self reflective. And I think that's one of the things that I kind of ran away from, from Ola for a long time was like really diving into like me and like, where do I fall short? Where do I, you know, where, where are some things that I'm lacking or what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And I think that I've, shied away from that for a long time but once I was able to be vulnerable enough to say okay like no you're not perfect you're this you're that you're this or that um it kind of gave me the ability to assess where I am realistically and then be able to move forward so um I think that the adversity has just helped me become a more well-rounded individual not only with tennis but in life because you have to continue to make these adjustments on a daily basis um, especially if you are striving to be better or you're trying to, you know, accomplish certain things that you always have to continue to figure out how you can be better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's how it's helped me, but it's, it's, it's mentally freeing because you don't take it personally. It's not personal. Yeah. It's just about how, I'm, how, what can I do so I can continue to grow? Do you feel... I'm kind of jumping all over the place now, but do you feel like you are safe now? No. Okay. So, Not at so, all. So you don't feel like you're safe from that, from public opinion, from scrutiny, from the effects of outside, you know, that outside noise? No. And the one thing that like me and my sports therapist was working on a lot was like, how do I quiet the noise? Mm. And she, that was her, her, verbiage was quiet the noise because she was like it's a lot of noise not only is it noise around you but that then that's things that you can't control what people say the commentators all these people the fans these are things that you can't control but the noise that's in your head the noise of you start hearing what people have to say you start letting it in you start hearing these voices you start hearing yourself talk how does that how do you quiet that and allow yourself to just be free and just play tennis and have a good time and play and enjoy what you're doing out on the court and let your creativity take over. So definitely not safe. And honestly, if I felt that content or if I felt that feeling of like contentment, I'd be scared. Hmm. It would make me uneasy because then I would feel like there's a level of comfort and a level of not acceptance, but like complacency. That's what I kind of equate those two. So you almost feel like that would kind of give you the opportunity to almost take your foot off the gas a little bit. 
Yeah, I think so. Because how I've operated for so long is that like those words and that is, has been fuel to my fire. So it, it becomes about now not letting those words affect me, but still using those things to be able to continue to like push or to be able to show, okay, I'm going to show you this, but you can pull it from yourself versus it having to be situational where it's like, oh, you said this? Oh, okay, I'm about to prove you wrong. You know what I mean? Because those could potentially happen few and far between. Mm -hmm. But I have a tournament every week. So how do you continue to find that fire to continue to like, okay, I need to push, I need to push, I need to push. Like what's going to get me from the semis to the finals and the finals to the trophy? Um, those motivations change. So, um, yeah, I think it would, that particular feeling would make me feel like, hmm, I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like that's kind of how I I equate it in my mind. I mean, for some people it could not be that way, but for me like in my mind it would be like, yeah. I don't care what you think. Like I'm good. You know what I mean? Like regardless I'm I'm fine, you know. And you can mean that in a way, but internally, you know, you could start to internalize that. So as you are talking, I'm I'm thinking about, are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Have you heard of that? Does that sound familiar at all? No. So. You always bring me these complicated things. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, you know, when you started talking about the work that you've done with your, with your therapist, immediately that like popped into my brain like wow i wonder where she is you know on on the scale like in terms of checklists um so just because you said you weren't familiar with them and i don't know if our audience is familiar with them either so i'm just going to run through them really quickly just to give you an idea what they are so abraham maslow presented this theory um, which he calls a hierarchy of needs and basically his his premise was every human has this hierarchy of needs and if this hierarchy of needs is met appropriately then we can lead a happy life happy and fulfilled life mm -hmm. so the first one he now i'm not saying i agree or disagree with him but that's what he said um psychological needs is number one uh the first of the um, driven lower needs on the first of the id driven lower needs on on Maslow's hierarchy needs are psychological needs and these are the most basic human survival needs they include food water sufficient rest clothing and shelter overall health and reproduction Maslow states that the basic psychological needs must be addressed before humans move on to the next level of fulfillment So the second is the safety needs, which is why I asked you if you felt safe. And he describes this as, um, you know, including protection from violence and theft, emotional stability and well-being, health and security, as well as financial security. And the third is loving, love and belonging needs. And this relates to, you know, friendships, family bonds, both with biological family as well as chosen family. 
So spouses and partners would fall into that category as well. Physical and emotional intimacy ranging from uh, intimate relationships to intimate emotional bonds. The fourth is esteem needs. And these are more ego driven. And this is where things like self-belief and self, um, self-confidence come into play. And he breaks it down into two different types. Esteem, which is based on respect and acknowledgement from others, which is, you know, kind of where you were alluding to that, that, you know, feedback from other people from outside, from the, from everybody outside of your circle, basically. Mm -hmm. And the other would be self-confidence and independence that stems from inside or originates from inside. So your belief system, how you feel about yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, separate and detached from what everybody else may think or feel about you. And number five, which is pretty interesting, is a self-actualization need. You actually described that as you kept talking, which is the refining of talents, the expression in music, athletics, design, um, cooking, gardening, caring for others. So I remember during the quarantine, we were talking and you were like, I started a garden. I started doing this. I start, you know, and you, you're all over Instagram, you know, cooking. So like, it's almost, that's why this popped into my head because mm-hmm. as you're talking, I'm like, man, she, yeah, that's okay. That's number five. That's number two. That's mm-hmm. number one. So it's interesting that you ran through kind of the list without having to even be aware that the list existed, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, that your life journey has just organically taken you through this process, Mm -hmm. which is something that we talk about quite a bit, how, you know, Kaya's life journey as a child in our household, in our family, and my life journey as one half of her parental you know, influence has taken this organic and sometimes strategically and tactically planned path. Mm -hmm. But now she has taken those things that she didn't even know she was learning when she was learning them. Mm -hmm. And they become interwoven into her, the fabric of her personality. And now she does things that I sit back sometime and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. I don't know if I could have done that or would have done that or would have thought about it, you know, when I was her age, respectively. And her mom feels the same way. But there are, wherever there's the potential for quote unquote good, there's also the potential for evil, right? Yin and yang. That's why I asked you about the scars earlier. Mm -hmm. If those wounds, if you feel like those wounds have healed, they had to have left scars. Mm-hmm. How are those scars now affecting you? Mm-hmm. And what are you doing on a regular basis now as part of your personal development strategy to offset that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish that I had some of those things that Kaya had growing <laughs> up. Well, you do. Yeah. You do. You just got them later and yeah. differently. Yeah, different, you know? different. But I think that like, I mean, for sure, number four is still, I think, the biggest thing that holds me back in, for me, in, in, and we spoke about this many times, just like, 
the biggest change is going to be when you believe that you can do whatever you say you're going to do. Yes. And um, I think when I that when that you have that buy-in, one hundred percent, and whatever that takes to commit to that all the time, and whatever that looks like, even good, bad. I think that's when the the growth and the development and the true essence of who you are and what you can accomplish and your your potential can really flourish um so i think that yeah (laughs) your uh your furry babies are asking for attention um bruce lee said if you ask me if I am good, and I say yes, you will call me arrogant, you will label me overconfident and conceited. Mm-hmm. If you ask me if I am good, and I say no, then you will know that I am lying and trying to deceive you. Mm-hmm. The only expression I should ever have is the truest expression of myself. Yeah. Because if I'm trying to please you, I can't win no matter what I say. Yeah. That that has that resonates with me because I s- realized that and when I started to understand that more, I was just like, okay. Like it doesn't matter. So the I realized that the topic of my my fitness and me being in shape has been something that people have been talking about since I was 14, 15 really since I started playing tennis but because I was judged from that from such a young age but I think that um once I realized that no matter like you can get in the best shape ever Mm -hmm. but this is always going to be in people's head and it's always going to be equated of Taylor this and that and this and that now obviously you're proving people wrong and my best shape could be different than this girl's best shape or this girl's best shape. Right. It's it's all about the performance. So if even if I don't look like to them, I'm in the best shape. You know, that could that all of those things can change, but I was that resonates with me a lot. Which is crazy because if you if you look at it on both sides, the men's side and the women's side of professional tennis, you see different shapes, sizes, and some changes in color. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you've got some players that are, that are short, some players that are tall, some players that are thicker and heavily muscled, some players are thinner and more waif-like, right? Mm-hmm. And again, this is on men and women's side. Mm-hmm. So you see the difference in body types and structures. What you haven't seen is an abundance of one particular type. Mm -hmm. And because everybody kind of stays kind of, you know, in that gelatinous mix in the middle, that becomes the norm. Mm -hmm. So when you see something that stands out from the norm, automatically it attracts your attention. Doesn't matter what end of the spectrum it's on. For sure. I remember uh, Daniela Hantakova years back got a lot of, a lot of negative press because she looked too thin and Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And she was having some, you know, struggles with some internal, Mm -hmm. internal things she needed to manage. And the attention to that, like being called out 
for that, not her tennis, not the thing that put her on the public stage, but something that was very private, mm -hmm. being called out for the private thing and almost having no one pay attention to the tennis thing yeah. did not do anything to help her. Exactly. Right? So you have to wonder if you're standing on the outside just being a casual observer, how much of this noise from the outside is designed to actually help and support you? And the answer is none. Zero. It's none. It's all designed to attract attention, attention to whatever they want people to pay attention to. So if I'm a, if I'm a reporter and I'm writing for, you know, the, the local tennis rag and I want to talk about Taylor Townsend this, or I want to talk about, you know, uh, Serena that, or I want to talk about Bianca's ex, you know, whatever it is. I'm trying to get people to read my column. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to raise enough eyebrows and draw enough attention to it that people go there and whether it's clicks, likes, follows, you know, subscriptions, whatever it is, I'm benefiting from all of that. 100%. Not you, not Serena, not Bianca, not anybody else that I write about, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's crazy to think that that's how the machine is set up to operate and that we continue to let it operate that way. But the other part of human nature, which we have to acknowledge, is that people generally have huge attractions to negative stuff. Yeah. So they're not, they're not quick to talk about the positive experience that happened to them but they will tell everybody they know about the negative experience that yeah. happened to them. And in business, that's kind of one of the, one of the things on our customer service side, that's one of the things that I don't, I don't know if it's being taught now, but I learned it immediately. Like if somebody has a good experience, they might tell one other person. Mm -hmm. Maybe if they have a bad experience, they're going to tell three to five people. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that they never have a bad experience because that multiple is really difficult to overcome. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it's, it's cool to hear how you're navigating this. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, you know, I'm not a professional athlete anymore. My daughter, my son are not professional athletes currently. My wife's not a professional athlete. So in our family, we've like tried to figure out how to prepare them for this world mm -hmm. right and and we don't know you know when when they're one years old as you will soon find out you don't know how yeah. much is going to stick and what they're naturally going to be inclined toward like you know our kids i would say naturally had a high level of self-esteem mm -hmm. but we don't really know how much they were really born with or how much they developed yeah. and extracted from the environment, the environment that we created. For sure. Right? There's no, we can't know that. Yeah. All we know is when so-and-so was in this situation, this is how they responded and this is how they talked about how they felt. And that is indicative of them having high levels of self-esteem. Yeah. Which is fantastic. But as a parent or a parent-to-be, it becomes very, very tricky trying to figure out what you put in place and when, and then how am I going to monitor that? How are we going to kind of fact check that later on to mm -hmm. make sure that that's in place before they are 13 
and exposed to you know junior high school yeah because who knows what that's gonna be like at that point in time so what year is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god so zeroing in on that kind of stuff does that how do you feel about that does that frighten you are you are you more excited or more fearful of that part of of your life i am it's it's kind of like half and half and i'm excited because i think that i have the opportunity to when it comes to the family and to the parental side and to the upbringing and the growing up side I think that I'm excited because I have an opportunity to rewrite my child's upbringing and be able to change the things that I went through that I know that created short like shortcomings later down the road and that you don't realize like I for a long time I didn't realize how my home life affected me as an individual later in life you know mm. what I mean? And the things that I was not exposed to at home or the lessons that I didn't get from my parents or the things that I was or was not told from a young age, how those things that when it's lacking from that aspect, it translates into all other things. So I think that I'm excited to be able to change that and use be first have identified some of the things that I've kind of like missed out on when, while I was growing up, but then be identify it, but then also change that for my kid. So they don't have to go through that thing, you know, of being told you can't do this or you can't do that, or maybe not being told or pushed into from your parents. Like, no, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? Like, those things of feeling like you are incompetent or you you're not good enough for the world but if you have that belief you have that feeling within your household and your parents push those that that thought process into you of like no you can do anything that you put your mind to you can do this you can do that you know how to think for yourself you know how to to carry yourself in environments i think that then you're less susceptible to fall into the bs of the world but when you have those things that you missed out on when you were younger or maybe in your environment it wasn't there, it was lacking, you're more susceptible and you're more prone to be able to fall under the influences of others that aren't in your circle. So for me, I'm extremely excited to be able to take the lessons that I've learned in my life and to be able to rewrite that for my, for my child and... Like, I, I will never accept someone telling my kid they can't do shit at four, ever. You know what I'm saying? And that, those, those words would never even, like, they won't even get past me. But if it did and it went to my kid, like, I'm shutting it down immediately. Because I refuse to let that, because I know what that looks like later down the road. It might not manifest now, but you hear it. Mm -hmm. If you hear it enough you start to internalize it. You know what I mean? So it's like building that strong foundation at home. But I'm also scared because the world is crazy. And you can only control your influences within, the, within your walls. And 
you can only control those things from where you are. But as soon as you step out into the world, like if I were to, if I have a routine and a regimen for my child and then I let them go to daycare, that can look totally different. And it's not, it's not guaranteed that they will keep that regimen and that routine. So I would have to then adjust. So it's like, you can't, once you leave your home or you leave your bubble, air quotes, you can't control your environment. So it's extremely scary because the exposure, like, I mean, I have a six-year-old sister and I swear that she's like a 30-year-old woman in a six-year-old body. Like, mm. like she's like, she's been exposed to so much stuff that I was never, I never even crossed my mind when I was six. You know what I mean? So thank God for the internet. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like it's insane. Yeah. So I think that's what frightens me the most, but I'm, I don't know what being a parent is like, but I know that, um, I know that, um, it's a blessing, but also you have the opportunity to really influence your kid and to be able to be something that they look up to. And, and it's a way that it holds you accountable to lead by example. Oh, for sure. And that's the biggest thing. Like it, it's th having a child, I feel like is the ability, the biggest like accountability check that you can have because they're always watching you. And I, the one thing that irritates me to no end is a hypocrite. <laughs> so like, I can't stand people, things like that. So that would be a driving force, but that's just like a personal thing that's in me. Right. Well, I know. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I know, I know you have a question or, or a comment. Um, I just wanted to say this because I had this conversation with my mother a couple of days ago. And, you know, we were talking about someone else in the family and how they were unhappy with their children, the way that their children's lives have turned out. And she said, you know, one of the things that I remember saying to you guys is, you know, do as I say, not as I do, mm -hmm. because I may not be doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I just remember listening to that and I thought, well, yeah, that was super hypocritical. And it, I kind of sat with that for a minute and I let it roll around in my head and I realized we can only give what we have, mm -hmm. right? So that was her way of saying, this is what I have. I do know more, but I'm not currently capable of doing more. Mm -hmm. So the do as I say, not as I do in that context, we were talking about smoking specifically because both my parents smoke, my mom still does. Um, she said, you know, you guys should never smoke don't smoke mm -hmm. and there were huge like there was threats of physical violence if she <laughs> caught us with a cigarette yeah right and her thing was even though i'm not strong enough to stop i don't want you to get started mm -hmm. because i know how hard it is to stop yeah so that was her way of protecting us but superficially if we just pulled back and looked at it for what it was on the surface, you'd be like, oh, she's a hypocrite. Let's, why should I listen to you? Exactly. So it, it led me to understand that sometimes that snap judgment 
even when we think we know what we understand, you know, we think we know what we know is not necessarily accurate. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, I think it was Dale Carnegie or Napoleon Hill. One of those guys from back in the day said, you know, it's not, it's not what you don't know that's going to hurt you. It's what you know that ain't so, Mm -hmm. you know, what you're convinced is not true. Mm Mm-hmm is, is going to come back to bite you in the butt. Mm-hmm. And I've found that to be true more often than not. So I wanted to circle back, um, for a minute. You're good at that. You're good at circling. I, <laughs> well, okay. I'm going to leave that where it lies. Um, so obviously I don't have kids. Um, but I have Cue the a, applause. I, yeah. yeah, please. <laughs> Um, I have been a daughter for quite a few years. Pretty good at it. Arguably the best in the family. Um, <laughs> so there has been quite a bit of perspective change, um, especially this past year. And pretty much everybody in my immediate friend group um, has either started college, gone off to college, or something, you know, in between, right? And that's where I would have been had I not made a different choice. However, they all kind of prepared for this, okay, it's time, I'm leaving the nest, separated from mom and dad, right? Um, I did not prepare, prepare for that. However, that's what ended up happening, essentially. So... In that, there have been quite a few conversations that I've had with my mom, kind of looking back on things and having that distance and separation. And I think the biggest thing that I can tell you that you won't realize until way later is that parents tend to focus on the things that they think their kids are watching. Mm -hmm. That's not always the stuff that matters. Mm -hmm. I was just having a conversation with my mom where basically I repeated the exact same thing to her that she had never said. In the 18 years that we've known each other, she had never said it, but it's something that she's done every day since I can remember. Mm -hmm. And I was repeating it to her as advice, telling her basically do what you've been doing, Mm -hmm. do what you've been showing me for yourself. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you paid attention to that? Like you caught, that was just me, like I was just doing what had to be done. Mm But it's stuff like that that sticks out. Like there are things that I do, obviously, when I'm separated because I don't have the parental influence. I'm out on my own, right? So it's just got to be me and what I've kept, what I remember, the the tools that I have. Mm-hmm. And there are so many things that I pull from that were ne- like it was never spoken about. Mm-hmm. It was just stuff that I saw and it was never gone out of the way to demonstrate this or show this or you know highlight don't do that Mm -hmm. but it was just that's what was done so that's what should be done that's the standard exactly Mm -hmm. so i would say yeah pay attention to that stuff Mm -hmm. the the little things that you do in your day-to-day that make you a good person Mm -hmm. those are the things that baby will pick up on and will be regurgitating to you 18 years later and you're like what yeah like really like you saw that Mm -hmm. so yeah that would be my two cents i've been practicing my baby shower speeches (laughs) (laughs) thank you no it's true though i mean i it's a lot of stuff that i remember that you know consciously or unconsciously that i remember even from growing up and um 
yeah, like it was, it, it's this little things, but I think for me and what I've learned is like, and I think through tennis and being able to get out of the house at 14 and it was hard being on my own and having to deal with adults and personalities and you don't understand what's going on, but you don't understand, oh, this is, this is business. This is how the world works. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, you kind of just thrown into it. But I think being thrown into it and having to navigate it through my tennis helped me so much to understand, be able to kind of differentiate character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge, like a huge part. Like you can be, you can act a certain way, but who are you inside? Yeah. Who are you? What's your character like? And I think that like my experience through my life, like John said, has just organically happened to where I've been able to start doing the sifting process of like figuring out the the kind of character of a person that I'm attracted to, to be personally as a friend, as a business, but all of these things is certain things that I, I look for. And, and honestly, that you feel like I feel like you click with it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And to be able to differentiate character and like your true essence of who you are as a person, um, I think that's super important. But like you said, just as a person, how you carry yourself is what people see and what people remember and baby will see and baby will remember. So I try to carry myself like that anyway, even now, like when I'm at tournaments, you know, I say hi to the people who clean the floors and I give flowers to the people in the locker rooms or, you know, go get the lady in the locker room lunch. Ask her, does she need anything? Do you need water? Do you need Gatorade? I do that stuff because, like, I want them to have that positive experience and to remember, like, you know, it's, it's not anything I'm going out of my way to do. Oh, I'm just, I'm going to do this because I'm a nice person. No, I'm doing it because I actually care. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Those are the kind of things that I hope that I can just kind of like pass down and show through, like you said, the action. I think at the end of the day, you and I've uh, I've been saying this a lot over the last 72 hours, but at the end of the day, the the type of person you want to be known as is how you should be living your day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you want to be known as a, a kind you know, generous, um, understanding, patient, temperate person, then you have to, you have to be living that every day. Mm -hmm. That means with your interactions with people, you know, people you don't know, somebody cuts you off in traffic. Are you kind and patient in that moment? Or are you going to act like Kaya and rage out and basically threaten everybody on the road with physical violence and nuclear devastation. First of all, it's everybody in the family line of the person who cut me off. Second of all, it's extremely entertaining for me. So I, I think that, you know, starting your day with that in mind, like what kind of person, what do I get to be today? Mm-hmm. Do I get to be the, a person of integrity? If you're, going into a, if you're going into a business negotiation, and this is one of the things that, you know, we'll touch on when, when we start talking about... Um, you know, your business endeavors moving forward now that you're like a high profile brand ambassador. Um, When we start, you know, looking at those environments and you go into a business negotiation, are you going in as a 
a shrewd business negotiator and it's, you know, what can I get from them? How much can I get from them? Or do you genuinely go in with, hey, I'm looking to have a symbiotic relationship with mm -hmm. this organization, this person, this company, whatever it is. And I want them to benefit while I'm benefiting and mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. I want it to be a partnership, right? And there's a huge difference going in with that mentality, take, take, take versus what am I willing to give and what do I think is fair in return mm -hmm. um, because of what they're getting, mm -hmm. right? So I think starting the day with that kind of as a governing principle of the day does something very different for you mentality-wise and even, you know, on a spiritual level mm -hmm. because it sets you up to be able to walk that path mm -hmm. so consciously though consciously you're exactly. making you're making the effort to do those things right it's no different than and you can relate to this but it's no different than you know your coach telling you okay this is what we're working on and we're going to hit this entire basket of balls working on this one thing and you i don't want you to deviate from it mm -hmm no matter what. So we just got to drill it, drill it, drill it, drill it, drill it. It's that discipline to keep doing that thing that to engage with, with, you know, everything you have into that repetitive, sometimes mundane and frustrating process, mm -hmm. because you know, out of 500 balls that you might hit, you know, maybe 150 of them are right or, or they look the way that you want them to look. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, you've got to hit 500 now and then you have to hit 500 tomorrow then you have to hit 500 the next day in order to get that number that 150 number to come up mm -hmm. right so it's just i think i call them primers but it's one of those things that you know we start the day with a primer and then that kind of sets the tempo for at least the next three hours. One of the things that we implemented in the organization we started doing team calls every morning mm -hmm. and for the last two months three months uh, mm -hmm. it's made a huge impact on the way that a, the way that the, the day gets started mm -hmm. and B the way that the day begins, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And continues. So it's been, it's been hugely impactful and a lot of people do it in their own ways. I don't think there's any one way, sure. you know, there's, there's certainly more than one way to get it done, but, um, it's cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You want to talk business? So, Yeah. Yeah, continuing kind of on that path. Um, what have you been up to business-wise? And like, what, is, what does that look like? I'm going to come right out and say it. You, you, you like blew up in social media. Yes. What was that about? So you hired a PR team or something? You said you're not the social media queen. No. So what convinced you to kind of put that out there well I knew that obviously me not playing and well first off I'm not active in social media anyway so I was like it's terrible and I feel bad sometimes okay so continuing on that path what have you been up to business-wise? What's happening with your brand? We've seen that you are like blowing up on social media. So that's been really cool. Obviously, you've had quite a bit of press coverage. We saw your ESPN interview, like we mentioned in the beginning. 
We saw People did a story, so that was pretty cool. So yeah, what have you been up to? Yeah, so I started working with a new um, PR team called 1010 Media Solutions. And basically, I just wanted to kind of refine my brand. And first, I wanted to, I needed to figure out what a creative way to like put out the reveal. So they kind of helped me with that and then capitalized basically on that and um, just trying to refine my brand and, and really maximize on my ability for people to love me. I mean, honestly, I don't know how else to say it. I'm just magnetic. So <laughs> It looked like you did get a lot of love, too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, I mean, that was really... I just I knew that I needed help with that aspect of social media because that's mm -hmm. not my forte. I'm not interested in it. It just doesn't appeal to me. So I knew that I needed help in that regard and just kind of like revamping my brand of becoming more of an adult grown tailor. And it's like it's a shift and it's a it's a monumental shift that's happening um, to, to try to kind of change people's perspective of me and. Like, I'm not this little kid anymore wearing braces and bows and stuff. The bows were cute. It was yes. very cute, though. <laughs> it, was a, it was a look. It was um, a look. So, yeah, so that that's pretty much what I, what my my plan was. And, you know, since working with them, I really, I've gotten a couple of um, um, conversations with different brands about working with them and potentially partnering with them, which has been really great because that's the ultimate goal, obviously, in social media is a awesome way for you to connect with people very easily but you have to have the right content you have to have the right you know appeal to these brands so um just kind of like working with this team has really helped me understand more about that and kind of like what people want to see and being able to kind of like put those things in place so that i can um give the people what they want nice nice that's really cool. It's been cool to see you connect more with your fans and and have more of that kind of personal um, presence. So, yeah. yeah, that's been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, people just want to get to know me. I think that's really important because, you know, as a as a public figure, which you are, um, being able to kind of establish what you stand for and you know put your putting your flag in the ground having that message be abundantly clear from the onset becomes hugely important for sure because um you know it's easy being uh a woman of color being a woman and being an athlete I mean, those are three separate categories that people could just lump you into and, and depending on what their, their agenda is could easily kind of just include you in the mix mm -hmm. on whatever train ride they're trying to take people on. And I think it becomes really important, uh, on the front end to be able to say, no, I, you know, I've, I've never been a part of that or stood for that mm -hmm. or, or wanted to, you know, be involved in that. Mm -hmm. If you look back and you follow my history, you can see. Yeah. You know. So getting that out there, getting that established early, I think is is really important. And to Kaya's point, the other part of it is 
you've got a huge opportunity to connect with your fans. I mean, that's what social media does, right? Mm -hmm. It gives you a huge opportunity to connect with your fans and people that are interested in you. That's actually only fans. <laughs> that's a different thing. Definitely cutting that. Um, <laughs> so much for the brand image. <laughs> Uh, to connect with your, you know, your fans and your public and people that care about you in a way that you could never do before. Yeah. There, there's no middleman now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if fans want to communicate and this is good and bad, and yeah. we'll talk about that in a second, but you know, if fans want to reach out to you directly, they have multiple ways of being able to do that. For and sure. if you want to interact with them directly, you've got multiple ways to do that as well. And as you have also been involved in what, what is it? shut up and play or something like yeah. that, right? Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that because that's that basically came about when things, when this direct access is abused yeah. and misused. Yeah, so that was a really cool campaign. Um, so I played a couple of exhibitions earlier in the summer um, during the time when we just had no tournaments to play. Um, and it was... Yeah. Um, it was basically... Oh, sorry. Uh, it was this basically shut up and play was an online campaign that was basically um fighting against um online abusers and trolls and all of that stuff and it was just when i played the exhibition it was just very intensified because one they had all of the money that we, we got the prize money came from the betting like a betting agency oh. so they set it up we had the, you know the betters were fully involved as well as it's only one match being streamed at a time so nobody <laughs> had to divide their focus <laughs> on anything like the attention was 100 percent on you and so it was just it was a different environment than what we're normally used to playing at a regular tournament or a grand slam or anything like that where you know i could be playing the same time as serena or halep and nobody wants to bet on me but they'll bet on on those matches because those are the more high profile matches so you may get a little bit but it's not going to be at the same level as that right um but the shut up and play was really great and i was really glad that i was able to kind of um front line and head that campaign um because the messages obviously that I was getting was the worst because people want to attack you because the color of my skin. They want to attack me because of my size. And so I had multiple different strikes against me that my counterparts and the other opponents that I was playing against didn't have. So um, as well as I was the most established person in terms of ranking and being played on tour and all of that stuff. So... You were the easiest target. Um, exactly. Basically. Exactly. So it was it was great that I was able to kind of frontline that campaign. Um, but yeah, social media is is a gift and a curse, honestly, because you get to connect with your fans, but you get a lot of BS. Mm -hmm. And kind of as people have reported things and have is been kind of like this this more cumulative message of online abuse instagram facebook twitter and all of these people have started to give you options on how to how you can refine or how you can kind of like stop certain words from if someone says this word in a comment like it won't show up on your page or they have different filters that you can use to kind of like sift out some of the online abuse but you still can receive dms and all this stuff so mm. it's it's great and i think that 
I'm really happy that I'm able to have a team that can help me learn how to navigate social media in that way um, and kind of be able to, like you said, cultivate your message and cultivate your image so that, you know, you stand for something and it's what you want the people to see. I think it's one of the, it's, it's hugely important. I mean, you're here, child actors talk about that all the time. You know, yeah. I didn't even know who I was until I was 30 years old because yeah. who I was kept changing depending on the role I was playing. Exactly. So it was defined by Hollywood, Exactly. you know? So, yeah, I, I mean, for sure, I would be leery of that. And we as parents have been leery of that, you know, in terms of um, protecting our children and, and creating uh, positive influences around them. Mm -hmm. So it's good that, that you have, you know, as an adult now and, and a professional, not as an adult now, but as an adult, <laughs> <laughs> as an adult, you have uh, professionals around you that you trust and they're, they're, um, you know, kind of safeguarding you, yeah. you know, in that regard and, and shepherding you through this process with, because they understand what you really want and, yeah. and more importantly, what you don't want. Yeah. I think that's huge. For sure. So congrats on that. Yeah, Thank you. definitely. Thank you. Thank goodness I saved up some queens. <laughs> I, I do want to touch on um, just one or two other points, and then we will let you go because we want to be respectful of your time. You invited us into your home to chat, even though you didn't put out a charcuterie board for us. I told y'all I wasn't doing it. <laughs> that was a one and, and done. And as we said before, there have been 40,000 COVID tests administered between the people sitting here. So we are not uh, influencing the spread of anything by being in the same vicinity, just as a disclaimer. First of all, I <laughs> see y'all every day. Just about. <laughs> just about. Um, so in terms of you know, going back to your chronology as a player and your evolution, what would you say to your 16-year-old self right now? What would you tell young Taylor? Because mm. at 16, you were still at USTA. Yeah. And at 16, if I remember correctly, that was around the time that you were told to stay home. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a very formidable... I mean, like at four, basically stay home, right? <laughs> give up, stay home. Yeah. At 16, give up, stay home. Um, what would you tell your 16-year-old self now as you were being told you're the number one junior in the world, mm -hmm. um, the highest ranked U.S. junior, mm -hmm. and this is your, your slam, you know, on, in your country, like your, your premier event, this is your, your marquee event. And you're being told by the Federation with whom you've entrusted yeah. your career at that point, because you're training with them full time, you're mm -hmm. being told to stay home because you're out of shape yeah. and they have health concerns for you. And I, I just want to preface this by saying, this is not something like this subject matter is not new. It's something that has come up you've been talked to you know it's it was in your video yeah. you talked about it in the in in your interviews with the other outlets yeah. so i don't want to beat the dead horse but the key takeaway i think would be what would you tell your 16 year old self now as a mom to be doing what you've done since then and how would you how would you shepherd young taylor to 
be able to deal with this adversity and kind of give her a heads up or or maybe even better advise her on what skill sets she needs to start working on now mm -hmm. in order to help this transition process go a lot smoother Ooh, we gotta get rid of a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> okay so that, that's okay so oh, man so oh. cutting uh you know doing some weeding some pruning in relationships Jeez. on every side like personally and professionally yeah okay i won't name names to protect the guilty but <laughs> <laughs> um two things that stand out for me one would i would tell myself that don't let anybody diminish your accomplishments Ooh. and be proud and recognize what you've done mm. face it face what you overcame because if you realize that, then you'll be able to pull and understand like the strength and you'll be able to be like, damn, I really did that. Like what you're saying to me has no meaning when, when someone is telling me I'm not a real number one, but I'm like, I'm number one. Like it's a totally different mentality of being like, you're not a real number one because you're getting your ranking points from this, this, and this. I'd be like, well, dang. My response at the time was, well, it's not my fault. I didn't make the rules. Mm -hmm. But my response now would be like, bitch, I was number one. Mm -hmm. A number one is a number one. That's like, right. however you want to try to code it, accept it, whatever, you're just saying that because you're mad. But like, at the end of the day, you can't take away the fact that on this piece of paper, it will always be in the record books that I was number one. So like, I would tell myself, because it was a lot of people that was diminishing my accomplishments that made me feel like it wasn't enough and I always had to one-up myself. Mm -hmm. I wasn't one-upping with my competition. I was having to one-up me. Right. And it was like a constant battle, which really kind of helped me later down the road because I realized that it was like, okay, I'm not competing with y'all. Like, it, it becomes an, it's an internal thing. You know what I mean? And And that is where we talked about kind of like the self-belief and you start realizing those kind of things. But I think if I were to able, if I was able to tap into that at that age and at that time when my feelings were so easily influenced because it was something that I had never accomplished before, as well as something that I never believed I could accomplish. So like it was a shock to me, but if I were to buy into the results that I had and what I actually accomplished, then it would have gave me the strength to continue to be like, no, like I can really do this. And the transition of maybe I wouldn't be at 24 dealing with the self-confidence or the self-belief issues on court. You know, the, do I belong here? You know, I, I could be carrying myself in a different way, in a different manner when it comes to my professional, in the professional setting on the WTA circuit and all of the, hoopla and all that stuff so i think that um that's the first thing that i would tell myself because that's something that i can control within between my two ears um everything around me you could or could not control but how i conceptualize my own success 
is something that I can I have full access and full control to. So that that I think that's number one, and number two would be don't trust everybody. And the reason that I say that is because not re- I had to realize through struggles and through personal endeavors that regardless of people that should have your best interest, people that should have your back, don't always. Most people look out for themselves. So don't take it personally, but don't trust everybody. Because mm-hmm. when I was when I was at that age, I trusted everyone like I would give everybody 150 percent everyone you know regardless of what you were telling me like I just everything that you told me everything Kaya tells me everything Brandon tells me even if he's 13 I'm 24 he's telling me you need to tie your shoes together and walk (laughs) I'll be like okay (laughs) you know what I mean like I would do I would I would just execute on everything and anything that anybody told me without any thought process of my own or refining like okay how is is this going to help me what is this doing for for me so your vetting process was was absent yeah because i wanted to please everybody i didn't Mm. want to say no i didn't want to i didn't want people to be upset at me i didn't want people to not like me i didn't want people to have a negative impression on me so i said yes to stuff i didn't want to do or accepted or dealt with or listened to things that probably in the back of my head, I was like, that don't make no sense, but I did it anyway. You know what I mean? Um, Which becomes a catalyst for negative things later down the road. So um, I think those are the two things that I would tell myself is just not be so trusting. And I think maybe if I would have (laughs) accepted that, if I would have been able to accept that, then I probably may not have entered certain situations or may not have stayed in certain situations as long as I did because I would have been looking out and listening to what Taylor wants, not what everybody else wants. Wow. So it's deep. That is deep. Yeah, very. You need a snack? I'm shook. <laughs> that was my stomach <laughs> complaining. Now I feel bad. Then put the board out. <laughs> my, my brain is getting fed, but my... My body is still malnourished. Right I'll tell now. you what my mom always told me: drink some water. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just thirsty. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for the recap, the kind of walkthrough uh, of a little bit of your past and what's been happening in 2020. It. I don't know about you, but for me, it does not feel like the full year has occurred. It very much feels like three months, I'm three in a, very long months. I'm in a time warp. It's so uh, weird. It's because you've been like Rip Van Winkle. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, thank you very much for taking the time to, to sit down and share that. And um, we're thrilled for you. And we can't wait to to see where your where your journey continues to go and I'm sure there are some very very exciting things that are going to be coming online for you in 2021-2022 so we can't wait to to stay tuned for sure and we'll maybe we'll have you back on next year to get a a recap she's probably not inviting us back oh no we invite her this is our show oh um but before we go why don't we make can we make like a 
a t- late 2021 Taylor's life prediction? Like, oh. wh- what is going to be happening with Taylor in late 2021? What is late? Like, this time next year? Like, this time next year, yeah. <gasps> okay, Ooh. go. No, oh, no, no you, you go. You're making the prediction. Yeah, you're making the prediction. You're forecasting. Yeah. Oh. Manifesting. Oh, gosh. Okay. We were really excited about that, right? Yeah, it was. I was like, yeah, tell me where I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, Reading tea leaves. No. <laughs> Jeez. Like I said, my palms touch or whatever that line. Um... So, this time next year, November, December, January, March. Okay. So, this time next year, there will be a a baby outside of my stomach. So, it will be a human in this house without four legs. (laughs) All right. Okay. Oh, that's so scary. Um, We'll be almost one. Yeah, almost. Yeah. So... This time next year, you know, I hope to be a, not a micro-influencer, but what's the, what's the A opposite? game changer? Yes. Yeah. So we'll say that. A, a game changer. A full influencer. A yes. full-time influencer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, We're redefining what that word means, right? Yes. Yes. Ms. Townsend is changing that definition in the dictionary. Hey. Um, so... I, in terms of social, like my business, I, I, obviously I wouldn't be playing any tournaments, but my goal is to, I mean, if there's exhibitions and things and potentially possibly play world team tennis in, in, in the summertime, um, you know, as soon as I get cleared, obviously to start, um, training and competing, like I'm right back, you know, doing what I was doing in the gym and everything. And, um, You you haven't really stopped training now, have you? No. And that's why, because I wanted to continue that wheel and and ke- continue the cycle as long as I possibly can so that the drop-off is much less. And so if I am ready to, you know, play and can play World Team Tennis, even if it's doubles, like just being in the competitive environment by July, like that would be amazing. Um, and it would kind of give me a chance to feel out what it's like to travel and without competitive it's a competitive environment but it's not tournament environment so you know um i could you know hopefully be ready for that but honestly by this time next year i just want to be able to have established a routine and have balance and kind of like gotten my feet in the sand and kind of, you know what I mean? Like just having a a grip on being a new mom um, and still navigating and navigate my body, navigate my mind and and having a new person that I am responsible for, not just myself. And how how does that work into my routine? And I think if I could have a routine built by November, to where it worked, like the the baby works in with the tennis and the fitness and kind of have built my schedule back, um, then that gives me six months from my projected date when I come back of of tournament play to really start going hard and, and, you know, getting ready for the on-court competition. But in the meantime, I got to find a coach. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so it's a lot, but, I mean, it's exciting, so... I mean, I think I, this time next year, I just hope to have my routine established and to 
have my head on straight, honestly, not go crazy. Too late for that. Yeah, I was going to say. If next year's anything like this year, my gosh. <laughs> the head will be on backwards. Yeah. We'll invite you back for our political show. Oh, oh my gosh. I might yeah. move to Portu Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> Don't nobody want to be here anymore. Sounds like a good idea. No. Alrighty. Oh, no, but thank you guys. Yeah. I had fun. Yeah, thank you for inviting us to your home. It's been great sitting down and chatting with you, hearing your story, sharing some insight and wisdom. Yes. Um, Can I close out the show? Do you know what the outro is? Mm -mm, I want to do my own. Oh, oh well, mm, yeah, <laughs> no, that's probably not that's gonna not happen. Gonna work then. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Two wheels in the mic. Oh, we go, we'll go with that next time. Yep. Two wheels in a town. Okay. <laughs> we gotta go. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, we will see you in, in the, the next, next one. one. Bye.